Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Last night, police responded to the crime scene of a murder in Dairy Heights. Our sources say the body was discovered in a locked room with no alternate exits and no signs of forced entry. Rumors that they've called an outside private investigator paint a pretty clear picture of how this case overshadows our local PD's capabilities. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Kahn, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And joining us via Zoom, the team that when we met, we connected with immediately and became instant best friends. Please welcome filmmakers and movers and shakers from Barker Street Cinema, James Douglas and Norm Corner back. Guys, welcome. Yay. Thank you for having us back. This is great. Dude, absolutely. We So much has happened since the last time we had you on the show. So it's it feels like it was the right time to have you guys back and uh, talk about your dollar baby and so uh, and just some of the other stuff that we've been through since back then. Yeah, so we've been through a long time ago. We've actually met in person since then. Yes. This is so great. God, I know. That was such we I know we'll talk about FanCon a little bit later, but the the moment I just I loved as I passed James on the floor of FanCon and he, he didn't see me, but I saw him and he was talking to someone. And so I just went up behind him and stood nearly chest touching his back and just stood there until he got that uncomfortable feeling and turned around and saw it was me. <laughs> like, that's how you know you get along with someone. You've only met in person one time and you that's the interaction you have. I, I just gave um, him a yeah. hug like a normal person. <laughs> so uh, let's let's just get into it because if we talk too much we're gonna spoil everything we have to talk about so uh, we last talked to you on the show back in april before the stephen king rules dollar baby film festival uh which we forcibly inserted ourselves in and became heavily involved in from your side i want to hear what are your thoughts on the festival now that it's been so far past james go ahead sure <laughs> well i i still i mean i have very, I re- very rare, regularly think about it. You know, we had we had sort of a a, a small plan going into the festival uh, to try and uh, show as many of the dollar babies as we could, and and to you know have some great interviews with with some of the filmmakers. But I don't think either of us and and our third uh, Leah Coglin, who was who produced the festival with us, I don't think we were prepared um, really for for quite how magnificent the whole thing was. Um, you know, we got some nice early buzz and, and you know, getting a chance to meet you guys was, was incredible and sort of spread the word about it. But when the, you know, when the portal opened and all of those people just started watching and then, you know, the relationships that we developed over the course of those three days, just kind of making it up as we went along, um, <laughs> it, it was... <laughs> It was really, really spectacular, and and one of the things that will uh, will always stick with me is the amount of community, like the the size of the community that that a we got a chance to see, but also be a part of developing because there was a real love fest that was going on that weekend uh, with all of the people who were watching the films, you know, talking to us through through the YouTube chat and everything else. It, there was just this this amazing sense of community, this amazing 
outpouring of love for our common, you know, we, we all commonly love Stephen King, but it, it sort of, it even kind of surpassed that and just really became a love for each other as, as fans and as people. And it was really, uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. That's why I always let James answer those kinds of questions. <laughs> <laughs> See, now, now I really want to hear your version, Norm. <laughs> you know what? It's funny because uh, for a lot of the stuff that we do, we just decide we're going to do it. And then, and then just like it sets in motion and then inertia kind of just takes us so far mm-hmm. in the momentum. And then for that in particular, it was pretty wild to like actually be getting responses from Stephen King, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's nuts, right? Like here we are, <laughs> we're, we've always been kind of at arm's length and then to have him kind of engaging with it and like actually throwing out a couple of tweets about like how cool the festival was like, that's pretty remarkable. Right. And then, mm-hmm. Every time something like this happens, like not just this, but I would say like Wicked Ways or the doctor's case or FanCon or whatever, it puts us on another radar. And that's what I always think about is I'm like, we're we're so lucky and blessed to actually have the opportunity to expand our network in like exciting and different ways. And and I like James hit it on the head. It was it was like a really beautiful love fest where, it, you know, like you have a sense of community. And so us being a part of that and and hopefully like that carrying forward is is really, really profound. So, yeah, man, I don't know. I'm like, I love it. And I love it. I, like every time something like that happens, it's like, this is another really fucking cool thing that's on my <laughs> resume. <now."> yeah. <laughs> what did you guys get any any feedback that you still think about, like any responses or, or anything from anybody after the festival? Well, to be perfectly honest, if I can, if I can be so bold as to say, um, you know, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of real personal connections and people really appreciating, you know, I'm, I'm a huge uh, James Cole fan. I've, I talked about him when I was on the show the last time, uh, last rung on the ladder is one of my favorite dollar babies, just the way that he kind of put that together. So having an opportunity to kind of see him interacting with, with Tony Northrup and really talk about the process of that was, was so special to me. And, and James and I uh, have con- continued to, to remain in contact afterwards. I actually, he's given me a script that I haven't read yet that I, I'm, if you're listening to this, James, as quickly as I possibly can, because I know it's going to be fantastic. So like those, those personal ones are really important to me, but to be perfectly honest, it's you guys that, that, it gives the the most the the most lasting impression for me. Um, a because we didn't know into day two that we were going to have you on as our interview <laughs> guest. <laughs> in a way. Um, and then the fact that we got a chance to do that and to to find out just how much you know how much people have been discovering your podcast as a result of their exposure to it thanks to the festival. Like that to me is so special because it it just shows the the spin-off benefits to everybody in this community, right? When we when we have an opportunity to come together like that on mass and just and just share the things that we're that we love and then be able to share the podcasts that we love with that with that audience and then get them interested in, in what you're doing. Like there's something so magical about that. I mean, it's it's exactly what these sorts of things are for, right? Is is that we're just we're just connecting everybody not just us but you and other people we're connecting them with with a whole whole audience of people who love what it is that we do and so just being able to follow your journey um you know as as numbers spike and and all sorts of things and then have you come out to fancon and and meet some of our crew in the in the flesh like that to me is it that's something that i will i'll take to the grave 
Yeah, I, you know what I really love about you guys is you're just as adventurous as we are. Right? I mean, like, if the shoe were on the other foot, and you're like, "Hey, man, we're doing this event out in where?" I always forget where you guys are. Where are you guys again? Iowa. Iowa. Right. Yeah. Right. That's funny because I actually I mentioned that in um, the podcast. It's going to be dropping this week. The podcast with Mark Bernardin and uh, Ming Chen. Oh, nice. Beyond. But uh, but the fact that like if it were if the shoe were on the other foot we would have been the ones like traveling out to you guys because we're the same, the same spirit, right? Yeah. Like we're cut from the same cloth, mm-hmm. I feel like. So I, I agree with James. I think that the relationship that we've been able to forge with you guys too has been such a, such a gift, right? So yeah. granted, I mean, I didn't get to spend as much time with you guys when you were here <laughs> as, as I would have liked. You were uh, a you little busy. It's... Cry at least once. <laughs> I, I think we cried with you a little yeah, bit though. So it was all. Uh, Le- Leah told uh, us that FanCon's not over until Norm <laughs> cries. And then it happened and I was like, oh, all right, that's it. it. Not... <laughs> And you're like, wait a minute, is he crying again? <laughs> this was a this was a particularly emotional year though, because it yeah. was like yeah. the hardest year we've ever had to, sure. to like pull it together. So but alcohol doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so kind of you guys to be happy that you met us. Like I can't even saying those words out loud feels like I'm stealing something from someone. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting away with something. And and so I just really appreciate that. And just for the record, for our listeners, we did not pay them to say any of these things. <laughs> but what and we have had the opportunity because you guys so graciously allowed us to be part of your festival. We've had the opportunity to interview a lot of Dollar Baby directors since April. And without fail, all of them, when we've asked them to reflect on the Dollar Baby process and people's reactions, all of them have commented that the festival that you guys put together was perfect. It was smooth, amazing. They made wonderful connections. I have We've been to a lot of conventions and I have never heard so many people so consistently talk about how amazing and perfect something was. Yeah, 100%. Oh, that's really nice to know. Yeah. Thank you. You guys are trying to make me cry right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, how, that's how we know the, the interview's end. over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. The third nude in. And, uh, and, and <laughs> no, it was, it was very interesting. Like, being in in Canada with you guys that uh as James you mentioned earlier that spike for our listeners when we were on our flights back to the states I checked uh our uh, analytics and we had only ever we'd reached as high as 131st in podcasts in uh, leisure and hobbies uh in Canada and when we were boarding our flight I looked and we'd shot up to 60th and I was like, jeez. Wow. <laughs> I like screenshot it and I sent it. And I was like, this is insane. But we met so many. It was so crazy to be that far away from home and to have people come up to us and be like, oh, my God, we love you guys. We saw you guys on the stream. And it's like, it, just, it was it was nuts. It was such a crazy experience. Like how many people that festival connected to we still have listeners that will send us an email and we're like oh man how'd you find us and they they'd be like oh i've been listening to you ever since the stephen king rules film festival this is just the first time i've messaged you it's just it's so awesome yeah love it love it Uh, so i gotta ask (laughs) what about another one do we have have has it been discussed Oh, it's been discussed. Um, <laughs> right now, the ball is in my court, and I'm terrible at following up on things. So 
So um, Margaret Morehouse, of course, who <laughs> looks after the Dollar Baby program for Stephen King, when we initially got the uh, the permission to do the festival, uh, she said that, you know, I asked her if she wanted sort of regular updates all the way through or if I should just give her sort of a final report about how things went. And she said that a final report would be fine. And it's been how many months now? And I haven't yet turned <laughs> oh, in that no! report. So that's <laughs> something that I am going to do uh, within the next couple of weeks. And, <clears throat> and along with that report, because I think that the report will show exactly what we all know, which mm -hmm. is that this was an incredible experience for a lot of Stephen King fans and th that there is some legs to something like this. So obviously we are going to put in the ask for that because we would, we would really, really like to make it an annual event. And, you know, maybe once the pandemic's over, we can do some in-person parts of it. I mean, we, we've even been talking about the idea of like a rotating like city. So we do a broadcast from somewhere, but from somewhere different every time we have a little live component to it there as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, the the success of the festival and just how much fun we had putting it together. Uh, I think if if they say that we can keep doing it, we will definitely, definitely keep doing it. Yeah. You know, what would be super cool, just uh, spitball in here. It would be super cool if like, say we had an in-person Stephen King Rules Film Festival we screened the dollar babies that are already made, right? So the alumni and all that kind of stuff. But then we have a contest where it's like, basically you have one day to make your dollar baby or oh something like God. that. Right? Yes. So, like, uh, so kind of like the crazy eights festival that they have in Vancouver, where it's like, this is it. You've got like, you know, 48 hours or 24 hours or whatever. And then you just have like a speed round. And if you win, Stephen King lets you release that movie. No, just <laughs> <laughs> the, imagine, imagine how angry every dollar baby that was actually good quality <laughs> would feel. The, oh, this 24 hour one's getting That's released. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you too, I'm actually, um, I'm on the pre-screening uh, committee for the Vancouver Short Film Festival. Mm. I've been watching hundreds of short films uh, over the last couple of months. And the Crazy Eights, you mentioned the Crazy Eights Festival, because there's a Crazy Eights Film Society in Vancouver yeah. uh, that provides uh, equipment and direction and stuff for people. They're the films that I've that I've been watching that have that have come out of that society are really incredible. And the ones that are that have been made specifically for that festival. And I think it is like 48 hours or something that they yeah, have from conception to finish. It's amazing the level of quality that that comes out of out of uh, a forced sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, short, short time span. We got to put it all in in 48 hours kind of situation. Um, so it would, be, it would be really interesting to, to do something like that, for sure. That, that would be wild. There's actually like a, a, a lot of pedigree attached to that <laughs> festival. It's been going for quite a while. And there's like a lot of like established, like working, you know, filmmakers that are like big in Vancouver that actually got their start through Crazy 8. So anyways, that's just, so a, cool. just an idea. Yeah. <laughs> James, when you're filling out the report, if... If we're going to stay on brand, we have to insert Dairy Public Radio oh into gosh. things you're doing. We make sure when you fill out the report, you can mention and have them check out the nearly dozen people we've interviewed because of the film festival. Because since that film festival, we've had, yeah, about a dozen guests, Tony Northrup and Steven Spignesi and uh, Selena Soderman, John Mann, so many people that uh, we met because of the film festival that we've been talking to ever since. So how does that feel to know that 
you guys did something that has had such a ripple effect through the community that people are still making connections today because of that. I'm going to take this one, James. Yeah, take it. Um, So here's the thing. Like for us, for James and I, and for our company, Barker Street, one of our like core, core values, like foundationally, we build things to build people up and to, and to make connections. That's like, so I, I mean, not to downplay the Stephen King rules festival because it was fucking amazing. And, but, but the thing is, is like, this is what we always do, mm-hmm. right? We always build things so that, you know, like the crew on the film can, can level up or, you know, like for FanCon, you, you can feel like you're in a truly empowering, inclusive space or, you know, like the Stephen King rules festival to band together or like to build that community that, that we have, we felt like we were a part of since the beginning, but I mean, it didn't really like to me really feel manifested until we actually all got together. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so I think that like that being said, like, it's, it's like, this is something that it's just really, really like special to us to be a part of, of doing those things. Right. Like, so I'd actually love to see the effects of the festival on say, like you guys, like your metrics of like, you know, what your listener account looked like before to now, we don't have to go into that right now, but I'm just curious, right? <laughs> yeah. I know for us, we did the festival and then like, we instantly had like 3000 YouTube subscribers. <laughs> so that's like, that's kind of bonkers, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean, like there is, there's definitely like effects in, in ways that we don't even recognize, right? Even the, the bridges being built between the filmmakers and other filmmakers that were actually on the call as well, right? So, or I mean, the call. <laughs> I'm on the call. <laughs> well, that, like hearing Tony talk about, he'd interviewed several of these people for his Dollar Baby book, but the festival was the first time he'd spoken to them because everything had been over email before. That's such a cool connection that you you get to build that relationship, that extra step. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was great for me um, and Norm too, I'm sure, but I'm speaking for me. <laughs> um, I got to meet like during the whole, you know, lead up to and and throughout the production of Our Dollar Baby, you know, I did, I talked to a number of people over email, you know, and, and Facebook, you know, asking former Dollar Babies, you know, their advice and getting a chance to see a lot of them and whatnot. So to be able to actually look a lot of those people in the eye and talk to them and interview them about some of the stuff that that I was curious about, it was it was amazing. It was amazing to to finally you know connect with these people that sort of have been there ephemerally because we've had these conversations and it's such a great thing because of the Dollar Baby program. Although there are a lot of Dollar Babies out there, it's still relatively small when you mm-hmm. consider the community. You know, there's only been a few hundred, you know, a couple of hundred probably of the films that have been made over the last forty years. So it's a small community, and everybody is is always really, at least in my experience, is really keen to help. You know, you can you can just email somebody who's made a dollar baby and say, I'm making a dollar baby. Can I get some advice from you? I know, <laughs> I know this because I've had a dozen people do that for me since mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, as well. And it's like, of course, I'm going to because I know exactly what you're going through. And we have this connection. But then to be able to, to lift that from the screen onto a different screen and actually be talking to those people. Mm-hmm. It's it's an incredible experience. And it's in it. And it creates lifelong friendships that I, I know will will always be there because we've had that experience, similar experience, and then we've had an opportunity to actually face-to-face talk about it. And I think it's, you know what, it was pretty awesome to see how 
there's like a, there's a selection of filmmakers that, that were part of the festival that are already very established. Like they're, they're working on big stuff right now. Yeah. It was awesome to see how excited they were mm-hmm. to screen their <laughs> projects that are from like years and years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And they're just so pumped and so excited. I can't remember what the fellow with the fellow with the dog. He, him and his wife were on and, uh, Oh, oh yeah. What was his name? Oh yeah. <laughs> And his dog was like running around and stuff like that. And they were so jacked. But that guy is like, he is, he's full on like a working filmmaker in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. like doing some big projects. So I'm, man, I, I hope he's not listening. <laughs> I hope he is listening. Thank you. And if you're listening, tweet at me and be like, dude, bonehead. Interviewed me. <laughs> it's so cool to hear you guys talk about this because I think that what you just said is a testament to Norma comment you made earlier you guys work very hard to establish a specific culture for everything you're doing. And you mentioned that when we, before we even did the festival, we were, we'd interviewed you. So we didn't know anything, you know, that was going to happen or necessarily very much about either of you. And I do remember you talking about that, how you want to lift people up and what that culture is like and experiencing that. Like, yes, that (laughs) you're nailing it, that going to Canada and meeting you guys in person and being part of the Northern Fan Con was so amazing before josh and i got to know your staff we'd commented to each other we're like you know these everybody feels like family it's it's really cool well we didn't realize that's also because it is a lot of family like family and spirit but also actual real families just connected to this and continuing to do it yeah absolutely you know what so it's funny that you guys kind of like got roped into coming out to northern fan con because that's kind of what i do is like always like there's somebody who interests me or I'm like, Oh man, I want to build those bridges. I'll invite them to come. (laughs) Right. So it was like wicked to have you guys there. And here's the thing is, is like with me, I often don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I just (laughs) move forward. And, and it's true. I'm just like, Oh, I'm going to do that and I'll figure it out. And, and the universe always provides for me. It's the weirdest (laughs) thing. But then, so here's the thing is, is like, I mean, for, for the listeners out there, uh, we had a little bit of a situation where, not a situation, but we were, we'd lost our moderator because I didn't connect the dots. He's, he's an amazing guy. His name's Kurt Flesher and he's a local radio host. And Kurt is just the greatest guy ever. But his, his wife used to be a moderator for FanCon and she always did this women in film panel. And basically it was the, it was her birthday, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I can't, I can't do it like on, especially today, but I couldn't do it anyways. And I totally got that. And that's actually for the listeners out here. That was like the first time I cried or maybe the third, I don't know. Um, <laughs> you should probably like, point out that she had passed away. Yeah. She passed away. Sorry. Yeah. Did I, I miss that part? But I, so she passed away. Um, she was like, so she was a legacy moderator for us. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. If you guys hadn't have been there and, and like I came around, I was like, Oh my God, I, I can't moderate this. Like, who is going to be someone who could actually moderate this panel for me? And then I saw you guys and I was like, oh, there is the universe <laughs> providing for me again. It's amazing. But I, I can't remember what the question or statement was, but that is my, <laughs> that's my story. Yeah. Oh. Anyways, no, but it was like, it's, uh, you know, like you build those bridges and then, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to, you know, like go somewhere. Is how it yeah. works and, I, and I think if your focus is having a positive, inclusive, uplifting culture, very intentionally like you guys are doing, you draw people to you who, when a need presents itself, are totally game 
to do it too. So I, it all it all comes back around because I I was super into being on the panel, but I had I was so nervous. I was digging my fingernails into my palm because <laughs> I was shaking so hard that. I had marks in my hand for hours after. And we had done our own panel the day before and I was not as nervous. <laughs> I didn't I didn't have time to be nervous. I had You got 5 minutes notice. You were on stage. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like give me people's names and I'll go from there. Yeah. Let's make yeah, it happen. I love it, man. See, very much the same spirit as us. Like James and I would be like if somebody's like you guys got to be on stage in 5 minutes. Like, okay, let's wing it. Yep, let's okay. make it happen. <laughs> Yep. And, and it all worked out well. We really appreciate that. And okay, so that is our takeaways from the the FanCon weekend. What were your guys's other takeaways, or was there anything else that happened that weekend that's different from other weekends? Because this was kind of a different year for you too, wasn't it? With COVID and everything. Yeah, that one. This one was a hard one, right? So basically, it's not usually that chaotic. I mean, I don't know how much you guys picked up on how chaotic it was. No, it to other people it seemed very smooth and well. I mean, I saw you yeah. running around like crazies, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. But the thing is, is like for this year, there was just a lot of intention. I think, like, so that's what I took away from it is, is like people really wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. That's only a third of the amount of people that we usually see. We usually see like twelve thousand, and I think we saw four thousand this year. But there was also some really great conversations that happened at the show. I mean, like we use it very much to build bridges, you know, network and all that kind of stuff. So there's like at least two filmmakers or actors that were at the show that we now are in active conversations about projects with. Right. So that's, that's like awesome. That's kind of like the cool piece of it. Like what's awesome for me is I'm like, I get to curate the selection of guests with my team where, where I'm like, I just kind of want to hang out with that person. So <laughs> I'm going to choose them to come to the show, right? Like, I mean, I don't know how uh, how much you guys got to talk to, say, like uh, Mark Bernardin or or Ming Chen or Diener from FUBAR. Did you guys, did, had you guys seen FUBAR before you came? We did. No, we, we still have never seen FUBAR. We, oh, you we, we, we spent, we we'll spent a, a chunk of the weekend trying to understand like, the oh references. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we uh, we we shared uh, a car with uh, with Ming and Mark a few times. Had uh, had a few fun hangouts with Mark Mir. You know, it was uh, Leah was just the best guide for us. Oh, like yeah. she was our champion of introducing us to people. We didn't have to network as hard when she was around. I'm sure she had yeah. way more important things to do, but she <laughs> she made us feel like she had all the time in the world yeah. for us, which is insane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. That's how she is. Leah's a gift. Mm-hmm. And she I, is like, she's absolutely awesome. And I've uh, claimed Diane as my uh, Canadian wife. In, uh, a respectful, in a respectful in way. Uh, <laughs> I was just like, every interaction I had with Diane, I was like, oh, I love you. <laughs> she's so amazing. You know what? Diane was actually, she did our craft services for, craft and catering services for Wicked Ways. Mm-hmm. And legit, it's like the best, craft (laughs) ever like she was making everything like homemade that's amazing people were like we don't want to go home yeah (laughs) yeah i i didn't want to leave canada yeah no no kidding (laughs) well that's lovely uh since you mentioned wicked ways we got to hang out uh with your live stream you guys did wicked ways with the leanna vamp and mark mirror which we we touched on last time I'd watched the trailer, but we got to watch the full premiere, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Have you guys had the chance to talk about what's what's in store for the future of Wicked Ways? 
Well, it's tough because nobody's greenlighting travel series right now. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, but the response was really great. And, you know, like we've had a couple of people reach out. I mean, that's one of those ones where until we get kind of back to some semblance of normal, it's it's more difficult to make it work. Mm-hmm. But it's very much something that we want to pursue. James, I don't know if you picked it up, but James is like as much a history nerd as like a Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, so, I mean, he's got like a, a, a bunch of like really, really cool ideas of like what we would actually be, you know, filming next. Mm-hmm. And the two of those guys, like that was their first foray, right? Like, and, yeah. and again, thrust into it together. And, but I think that they've got a really good chemistry. Yeah. So, so, I mean, like there's something there. That's it's funny because we also have another project in development that that we released information on called Festies. Festies is Ming Chen and Ivy Doom Kitty, and the premise of it is it's also a travel series because like <laughs> we never do anything easily. <laughs> um, so it's a travel series about them going to different conventions and you know immersing themselves in the the fan culture of whatever that convention is. But they're way different than you know, like from one to the next, right? Like, so there's like a furry convention. Then there's like the Mad Max convention in, in Nevada. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a UFO kind of convention. So, um, so we actually shot a sizzle reel. These guys shot the shit out of it. Actually, there's enough there for a full episode of FanCon. I didn't really want to do it to start at FanCon though, because it just seems too much like the snake swallowing its tail or whatever. But the thing is like the footage is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. (laughs) It looks so good. And and it was actually like, uh, it was directed by Bob Loomer, who's like a Food Network celebrity, who's a friend of ours. So he knows that space very, very well. It's pretty awesome. I can't remember why I started talking about that either. <laughs> but it's also, it's a good example of what Norm was saying earlier about connecting with people through events like FanCon and then spinning that new relationship into a more complex working relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like Wicked Ways uh, is is a perfect example of that. You know, we knew we wanted to shoot the pilot in Barkerville because it's a, an amazing restored wooden gold rush town with, with some amazing history. Uh, my wife, Danette Boucher, plays Florence Wilson there and has for more than 20 years now. She so, was amazing. But, <laughs> 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 oh, um, but given, you know, so given her relationship with that character and mm-hmm. sort of the ghost stories that, that follow that character, it seemed like a no-brainer. But like Mark Mir and Leanna Vamp, I mean, how we know them is because of Norm and FanCon, right? Mm-hmm. Like Mark Mir's from Edmonton, so he's a Canadian boy. We kind of all know who he is. Vamp is an amazing cosplayer. And and we met with them through FanCon and then ultimately got them hooked on this idea of of doing this show with us. And it's the same with, with Festies, right? Like Ming Chen and Ivy Doom Kitty, it's the same sort of thing. Ming Chen is a staple at conventions all over uh, North America and through Comic Book Man and his relationship with Kevin Smith and everything else. But Ivy Doom Kitty is like, again, one of the more popular cosplayers out there. So being able to sort of build the relationships with them through the fun that they've been having coming year after mm-hmm. year to FanCon and then saying, hey, well, we've got this other thing that you might be interested in. It's just, it's a great way to sort of show that in everything that you do, there is an opportunity to do more as long as you you have that that thought in mind. Like, you know, we can we can develop, we can, I mean, we can have these great relationships with people that we meet at cons just, and that that could be it. You know, there's lots of people from, we, you know, we've, we get to know them for three days and then we don't ever talk to them <laughs> again. But then there are those few that it's like, wait a minute, there's something here and we think that we can do more with this. And it's a, it's a, just a perfect venue for, for being able to develop those relationships. 
Well, you can kind of you can kind of see the formula, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you guys ended up coming out to fan. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you guys are gonna have a pitch for a show for us? Is that what I'm? You know, right? <laughs> Didn't you, did you send me a script? I did send you a script. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you guys realize this, but you also make the individuals who aren't necessarily involved, either intentionally or unintentionally, feel like they are part of it too. And I think that also makes what you're all of the things you're doing really special because we we were watching along with the Wicked Ways pilot and obviously that we weren't involved in that in any way but you guys do such a good job paying attention to what your fans are saying and doing along with you and including them in that process that I've I've been to a bunch of live streams and shows and where they have the actors on a panel and you can see them talk and it is not inclusive. It does not include the audience the way you guys do that. And so I think no matter your level of involvement, your role in the projects that you guys are putting out, it really feels connected and special for everyone. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you that you feel that way. And I think part of the reason for that, and I think Norm has said this before, and maybe even on the last time we were on your show, is because we are those people, right? Like we are the biggest geeks. <laughs> like we love the things that we love. And we I would hope that I could have that kind of experience, you know, if I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm, if I'm going to be a part of something, I'm going to just watch a, a stream or something like that, where there's interview panels. Like I would, I would want to feel as though I were a part of it in, in some way. And so for me, like, I'm just going to include everybody because that's what it's all about, right? Mm-hmm. That's why we do this. We, yeah. we have the love for these things and we want to share that love. And, you know, lots of us, when we were younger, didn't feel like perhaps that we had yeah. the, those kind of avenues and the, and you know, the jocks in the school would, would be ragging on me for liking the things that I liked or whatever. I'm sorry. It, sports people are great too. But, um, <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. so, so to be in a situation and if I'm in a situation where I have a platform in which I'm able to explore some of these things that I love and I can invite people to be a part of that with me, I want them to be a part of it. I don't want, I don't want it to just be for show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're all the same in that respect. But I have to point out too that a large part of like why that all works so well is because Leah is so passionate mm-hmm. about inclusion in in the Twitter sphere or you know like online because she's part of like the what is it called the the drive-in. Oh, Joe Bob Briggs last the last drive-in. She's like that is the perfect model, and so she she takes what she thinks works from it, and and then you know like we try and emulate it as mm-hmm. best we can. But that's a big part of it. I mean, we're all we're all in that same boat though, right? I mean, like we want mm-hmm. we want people to feel like they're part of it. That's how you build community. That's how you build connections. That's how that's how you can learn and grow from people. Right. Is like Mm -hmm. to have everyone involved. Yeah. So, yeah, no, man, super special. Yeah. And that's how you can tell that the people doing what they're doing love it because it's not just a paycheck or something to mark off their list. It's something they are so passionate about that that passion infects everyone around them, even if they're just a guest or an attendee or whatever. Sorry, I don't ask questions. I just make long winded statements. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell you it's definitely not about a paycheck. <laughs> so uh, we we could definitely we could talk about FanCon forever because I feel like I have a thousand other things that I could say that I would love to talk to you guys about. And, but the great thing is we're friends now, so I can have those conversations <laughs> off mic. Look at oh, you right. putting us back I on know, track. I know I'm doing wow. my best. Let's talk about the doctor's case. Uh, so our Ooh. listeners will remember if, if they, and if you they don't remember, go back and listen to the Stephen King rules interview because there was you talked the whole story about how the movie came to be. Mm-hmm. 
And now that we've seen it, we'd like to dig a little deeper. So the first question I have, especially after seeing the Stephen King Rules Dollar Baby Film Festival, most of these Dollar Babies are 10 to 15, 10 to 20. You guys made a feature. What made you take the doctor's case and make it a feature? To be honest, there were two things. One is that I I really felt like it couldn't be anything less than that. Mostly because I wanted to make sure that every bit of the story that I could pull out, it's I mean, it's a Sherlock Holmes story, right? It's a very complex, I mean, it's rather simple, but it, it's a convoluted investigation, right? And there's all of these elements that need to kind of be brought forth in order for the actual mystery part and the solving of the mystery to make sense. There really isn't any details that you can pull out of that without compromising the reveal at the end and and, mm-hmm. all, and all of that. So that part of it was, was important to me. So I, I said two things, but it's actually three. So <laughs> the, second, the second thing is that I wanted so badly, like now that I've grown as a filmmaker, I, I totally understand why people have to change things and and not you know include as much of the actual writing as possible. But at the time, I was a Stephen King geek who just desperately wanted to put mm-hmm. as much of his actual writing in the piece as I could. The dialogue is lifted directly from the story, <laughs> right? There's some dialogue that I invented, but that was literally just passages of his narration so that we could get that in there. You know, there's so much of his actual writing in the movie. And because up until that point, that had been one of my pet peeves with people who adapt King is that they will often take the circumstances and the character names and whatnot, and then just kind of write their own thing around it. And and again, filmmaking is not writing. So I understand, especially now, the need to do that sometimes. But it had always been something that kind of irked me. And I felt that if any of the stories could do a direct, like, (laughs) this is the actual words, The Doctor's Case is the story that can do that because it's a Sherlock Holmes story. It's written in a Victorian style. Therefore, there are long passages where people are just standing somewhere talking, <laughs> right? Like That's what those kind of things are all about. So it just felt like we could actually do that in this case. But once you start doing that, you can't really cut corners. You have to kind of lay it out. And then the, the other one was uh, J.P. Scott was an inspiration to me. And he's the fellow who did Everything's Eventual which is the other feature-length Dollar Baby. And he had already done it, and so the precedent was already kind of set. Yes, it said directly in the co- in the contract that it shouldn't really be more than 45 minutes, but I was like, <laughs> what the hell? This guy did it. I'm going to do it. So it, it, just, it was a combination of those three things that were like, you know what? We just have to, we're not going to make 20 minutes out of this. We got to mm-hmm. give it everything that it's got. To be perfectly honest, in retrospect, I wish it had been 10 minutes longer. Because if it, if it had been 10 minutes longer, we would have had people wanting to program that on their streaming services, right? Mm-hmm. But because it's 65 minutes, so it's not 60, you know, so there's that hour-long time slot, and it's not 75, which is, you know, gives you an opportunity to put commercial breaks in or whatever. It's it's a very awkward length to, to do anything with commercially, not that we would necessarily get the permission to, to put it out commercially anyway. But so, you know, the, the experiences that I've had since making that film as a filmmaker have, have really made me realize there is that sort of weird little gray area between a short film and a, and a short feature. Like, so I do kind of wish that I'd been able to spend a little bit more time and put a little bit of extra bits in it. But, uh, but uh, that's just neither here nor there, really. I'm, I'm really, really happy with, with everything the way that it turned out, for sure. Just edit back in 10 minutes of uh, Michael Coleman when he <laughs> solves it and he just sits down in the chair and looks like he's going to throw up <laughs> because it's somehow so adorable 
and sickening. <laughs> like and my, Michael, Michael's portrayal of Watson is endearing. so great. Yeah. yeah. He, Did you guys get a chance to talk to him? We, yes. oh, we yeah. yeah we got to hang out with him for a while. He was so he's kind so to us. It was great. Yeah, he's a really good dude. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. Yeah. He really is. And I wish that actually what I've been able to put back in, but we just couldn't quite make it work. Because one of the things that people often ask when they see the doctor's case is there is this scene where where Watson is getting ready to do the solving of the case. And we had him, you know, in sort of a very military fashion, take off his jacket, mm-hmm. fold it up crisply, put it, you know, fold up some stuff, put it, put it away. And then he 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 takes his shoes off <laughs> and his socks off and he rolls up his his pant legs uh, before going through the little montage mm-hmm. where he gets the cat and everything else. And that doesn't make any sense. Like when you're, when you're watching it now and you look at it, it's like, why, why did he do that? Like we don't, there was this whole scene, like it was like three in the morning when we were filming that, and Michael had this great idea that he wanted to kind of really get really down and, and, and in like getting Watson sort of feeling the, the textures mm-hmm. of, of the, of the rug and, and everything else. So there was actually this whole thing that we shot where it really showed why he was doing what he was doing. He was feeling the ground with the with his bare feet, which is ultimately why he then steps, well, I don't want to give away too much, but <laughs> steps on something that sort of twigs something for him. So there was there was actual rhyme and reason for that that whole scene. But when we were cutting it together in post, it just kind of slowed everything mm-hmm. down yeah. in a way that we just didn't feel like we could we could really get away with it. So we just kind of cut it as best as we could and hope that nobody would either notice or at least they would just think, oh, well, that's just Watson being kind of kooky or, or whatever. <laughs> and then actually, ultimately, our official story is that because because it, it made him look rather Hobbit-like for a, for a couple of moments, <laughs> yes. right? Because he's got a little feet <laughs> right his head. And, and so because Martin Freeman uh, played Bilbo Baggins in The Hobbit and then also yeah. played Watson in Sherlock, we decided that that was an homage yes. to Martin Freeman. So that's the official story. That's, I, that's why he takes your no, shoes off. That up, is but. perfect. I So I have to tell you guys, my parent-in-laws were really interested when they looked at the schedule of the festival. They're like, oh, the doctor's case. So they came over to our house specifically to watch it with us when your guys' dollar baby came up. And my husband's dad asked, was that guy in The Hobbit? <laughs> <laughs> During that scene, I think that that moment triggered something. So yeah, it works. Absolutely. It works. <laughs> now you said you you filmed that scene at like three in the morning. You I, you said in the the previous podcast that you were filming all through the night in this mansion. What was the behind the scenes like on those all night shoots? Norm left. Uh, it, Norm was, left. it was <laughs> it was pretty crazy. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. If people weren't you know behind the scenes or in front of the camera in a particular scene, they were sleeping on the floor somewhere. <laughs> oh, so like. If you could just if you could just take like three steps back from the frame that you see in the film, you would see like people lying on the ground trying to get a little bit of sleep or, you know, trying to eat their food, you know, really madly because it literally was like we were it was an insane. I mean, obviously now, too, we have more experience as professional filmmakers and it's it's we put people through stuff that you would never want to put people through. We were really we were very fortunate that so many of those people were there because they loved the idea of what we were doing and they 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 were their friends of ours so they were willing to just put their all into it. But but yeah, no, we 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 put people through the paces for sure. Like we were I'm not joking when I say that we were getting 2 hours of sleep a day oh, for 2 weeks. Oh. Uh filming during the day and then like out exterior scenes or the Baker Street apartment scenes in the daytime and then heading to the castle 
uh, for five thirty at night and then shooting until five in the morning. Like it was an insane schedule. It's funny. Cause there was like this weird droning at one point. We're like, what the hell is that, that noise? And it's like a, like a weird droning. Right. And this is like in the wee hours of the morning. And I'm like, what is that? And it's coming from upstairs. And I literally, it was someone who had fallen asleep and they were snoring. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's what it was. That's amazing. And then you have things like, You've got things like J.P. Winslow, who played uh, who played Sherlock Holmes, who is not allergic to cats. So he's in the back. He's he's in the in the hall, huffing like cayenne pepper, <laughs> oh, so man. that he can get on on screen with this snot running down his face. And his that was not makeup effects at all. That was him torturing himself wow. to get into that space where he would have. So we had that going on. And at the same time, the only people who were allergic to cats, and there's 10 cats in the story. We mm-hmm. had five of them at any given time, uh, you know, in the castle with us. Um, I'm really allergic to cats. And so is Michael Coleman. So a lot <laughs> oh, of, no. when you see those, you know, you mentioned him sort of wearily sitting down in his chair sort of <laughs> contemplating what's going on he's having a massive allergy attack oh, no. at that very moment and he's also dead tired because he's been up you know for for 12 hours or whatever so we did get a little bit of uh, method acting into everybody's <laughs> yeah. performances but just in different ways in ways that you wouldn't have necessarily expected. he really put his face in that cat in that yeah. one scene too. Yeah. he had it right up oh, there yeah. wow brave man <laughs> so you mentioned that you it was really important to you to be as faithful as you could to the source material. But there are some changes that you did make. Amazing, beautiful, perfect, because if you can see my Star Trek The Next Generation <laughs> toys lining the wall behind me, big fan of Denise Crosby. Yes, yes, me too. And and again, that's thanks to Norm, because before the year before FanCon officially launched, we had been doing a, a regular sort of geek weekend in Barkerville on the sort of the last weekend of our season. And uh, it had been going pretty well. Um, and and Norm had said, hey, well, why don't we see if we can get some celebrities to come up and, you know, do some stuff at this weekend, uh, sort of playtesting, I think he was, the, this idea for FanCon. <laughs> and so we did. Um, the weekend that we had, uh, I think it was like 2013, Denise Crosby came up, as well as Claudia Christian, who was on Babylon 5, and Dean Hagland, who was one of the, the lone gunmen in the X-Files. And they all came up to Barkerville and signed autographs and did a whole <laughs> bunch of fun stuff with us. And Denise and I really hit it off. You know, we wound up, you know, at the Wells Hotel Pub, uh, which, by the way, has the single largest uh, single malt scotch collection in BC, <laughs> drinking a little bit of scotch till two in the morning and just chatting about stuff. And it was just, it was a connection that felt very, very real. She's a very genuine person, you know. She's got an insane pedigree in mm-hmm. Hollywood. Uh, you know, Bing Crosby is her grandfather, and she's done all of these amazing things. I mean, I loved her in Star Trek: The Next Generation, but of course, as Rachel Creed in Pet Cemetery, yeah. like that for me was <laughs> amazing. And so, you know, we had emailed each other back and forth a couple of times in the years since then. And as soon as I knew that I got the Dollar Baby. She was one of the first people that I talked to because I knew that there was two major changes that I wanted to make to the story. And one of them was this sort of bookend sequence, you know, where the older Watson, who in the story is just writing the story the way that he writes all of the first person accounts of the Sherlock Holmes stories. It's after the fact. He just happens to talk about the fact that this is 50 years later and he can talk about, you know, this one case that he solved before Sherlock because Sherlock's been long dead. But I knew that I didn't want to have it just be that, right? Like him sitting at a table writing or just having the, you know, the disembodied voice of the older Watson doing the narration. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was really important to show him talking to somebody, 
and that's how ultimately we we sort of created this. And that was th- thanks to my father, actually, because the story, The Doctor's Case, is set in 1899. Our film, the main part of the mystery, is set in 89. So we, we backdated it by 10 years, which fits within the Sherlock Holmes canon, but also because then 50 years later could be the Blitz in London during World War II. So we thought, okay, well, this is a really awesome opportunity because we can use the same manor house um, because it was common practice for these large estates to be sort of taken over by the military to create field hospitals and that kind of thing. And then we could create this little part of the story that saw the older Watson basically doing his last grand tour of all of the, the places that he and Sherlock had had their most significant moments together and that he slips and falls and hurts himself and winds up in the very hospital <laughs> that he's been kind of just poking around the outside of. And that's where he meets Denise's character, Captain Norton. And that was a total invention of ours just to, because we wanted to create this nice little thing that would then have a nice send off at the, at the end of the film as well that kind of imagines some some new adventures. So I, I and I knew that I wanted the person that Watson was talking to to be a woman because Sherlock Holmes stories don't have a lot of women in them. <laughs> you know there there are a few, but they're you know they were written in in the 19th century and it was mostly men talking to mm-hmm. each other and and the the doctor's case is exactly like that. There are a couple of female characters in the story but they don't really say anything. Um and that's not King's fault, that's just the way that he was writing, but I knew that I wanted to have there to be a more a, you know, a female voice in the show as well. So that was the perfect sort of gathering storm for me to, to sort of screw my courage to the sticking place and email Denise, who happens to share the same birthday as my mother. So that was that was a, a perfect in. I was able to write her a, a note in November and uh, and say, you know, I've got this thing. Um, it's a Stephen King project. I would really love to chat with you about it. And to my absolute delight, uh, she wrote back and said, yeah, why don't you and Norm come down to, to LA and we'll have lunch and we, and we can talk about it. And, and that that is how we landed her. I mean, she she said yes without even seeing a script, just based on mm, having a lunch yeah. conversation with us about what we wanted to do. Uh, she was extraordinarily generous with her time and her patience as we figured out how to make a <laughs> movie. Very forgiving. <laughs> <laughs> so there was that. And then that's the other reason why we, we shifted the Stephen Hull character, who's the youngest son of Lord Hull in the story. Uh, we made... Stephen a daughter instead of a son because I again I wanted well two things I wanted to be able to have another woman in the film other than of course my wife Danette Boucher who played Mrs. Hudson spectacularly <laughs> yes um, but also because I wanted to be able to work with my cousin Joanna who also had been has a Stephen King pedigree because she played Doris in uh, 11 2263 the uh, Hulu uh, oh, miniseries nice. That's uh, awesome. that James Franco was in so it was like we're going to collect all these Stephen <laughs> King people and put them in the movie um, but also it was just an opportunity to to work with them and to broaden the cast a little bit and let there be some more female performers in the show. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's nice to see more ladies and they all did such an amazing job. Oh, thank you. So what has the response been from the people who have seen it? Whether it be uh, audience members or once like the people who worked on it were able to see it. It's been uniformly amazing, right? I mean, you you hope that people are gonna gonna respond the way that they did wind up responding to the doctor's case. I I mean, I'm sure there's. I mean, we did get one bad review, I think, for a festival that we didn't attend in the states. I'm I sorry, don't even remember no. Uh, but uh, yeah, other than that, you know, the, the the response has been fantastic. The audiences who've come to see it 
have uniformly loved it, or at least that's what they tell me. The, the people who've been involved in it, including Denise, like that was that was one of the one of the great things for me, both Denise and William B. Davis, right? Mm-hmm. Who played our yeah. older Watson. These these people have been doing this their whole lives, and they've had a chance to work with some really amazing filmmakers. And they knew that this was the first movie that we were ever making. And they could have just watched it and very politely said, thanks, that's all great. But they had some really lovely things to say about it. So that was... For, for me, especially as a, a first-time director, that was everything that I could have hoped for it to be. Absolutely. And I mean, it was it was uh, reported on Screen Rant, toot toot, as the fifth best adaptation of Stephen King ever. Damn! According wow. to IMDb. According to the, our IMDb scores, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, a lot fewer people have reviewed our movie, so it, <laughs> the percentage was really high. But... <laughs> <laughs> But we'll definitely take it. That was that was uh, a real highlight for me to to be on a list with The Shining and uh, The right. Green Mile. And, yeah. uh, you, know, you guys deserve, of, no. yeah, you deserve to take it because it's perfect. It is a perfect dollar baby. And even just taking the dollar baby aspect out of that, it is a perfect movie. Watching it, I've, I watched it twice now. There isn't any moment that I'm like, oh, that kind of drags or I was confused or anything like that. It was it just the pace was great and the acting was phenomenal and... And it was beautifully shot. No, it was awesome. You guys have said so many interesting, cool things throughout our interview. You do a lot of awesome other stuff and you have all this wonderful experience. What advice would you give to other people who are having their first dollar baby opportunity? James, that's for you for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because I have actually given this advice to a couple of people who have emailed me asking if they should go ahead and do this because they they had an idea and they wanted to do it. You know, they were a little bit concerned about, you know, the fact that it's a non-commercial thing. So are you ever really going to recoup, you know, what you put into it? And my response has always been, do it. Absolutely do it. Yes, of course, you're never going to make your money back on a dollar baby. Uh, you know, Frank Darabont made his money back, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, that's about it. You're not going to do that. But what you are going to gain as a result of it, you couldn't pay for this kind of experience, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm, and I mean, you know, like I didn't go to film school. I, the doctor's case was my film school. So, you know, I put all of the blood, sweat and tears and unfortunately money uh, into <laughs> it that I wouldn't necessarily recoup except for when you put your name to a Stephen King project, even a dollar baby, when I, and I shouldn't say even a dollar baby, but like people pay attention to it, right? Like mm-hmm. we got people who came and worked on that film who, who are career professionals because it was an interesting opportunity for them to work on a Stephen King project. And it's the Stephen King project that may not be a commercial project, but it is a project that he has given his permission to, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's a really big deal for people. And so when you're able to open conversations with, yeah, I made this Stephen King film, people immediately start taking you more seriously than if it was like, hey, I just made this you know, horror movie in my backyard or whatever. <laughs> so think about it that way. Like think about the spinoff benefits to your career if 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 what you want to do is become a filmmaker some people make dollar babies just simply because they love they love Stephen King and they want to work on that and they're, and they're not looking at it as as a stepping stone to something else but if you are it's totally worth it it's completely the value there is worth it but then beyond that and it's again the love fest that we've we've been creating uh here for the last hour and a bit it's the people you get to meet, like as a result of that, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I hadn't ever, if I hadn't made that film or if we hadn't made that film, we would never have met you guys. And, and no, meeting you and knowing you is an incredible thing. Like I'm so happy that we have a relationship now. And 
you never know when those sorts of things are going to happen, right? So, and so, yeah, just do it. Like, just make the movie, make it. It'll be fun. You'll have so much fun. And you know that the source material is fantastic. So you've, you're, you basically have a leg up over 50% of the other filmmakers that are out there because they're, they're starting with ideas that are crap. <laughs> and, they, and they're still probably making good movies, right? Yeah. You know, they're doing something out of it. But at least in this case, you know that the building blocks of your film are fantastic. It's up to you to screw it up. And sure, <laughs> we can certainly do that. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I 1000% would say if you're thinking about doing a dollar baby, do it. That's awesome. We're going to wrap things up here. Tell us what interests you right now. What is what's next on your guys's plates? There's a whole bunch of stuff we can't talk about. Oh. <laughs> uh, so we currently have two um, feature films scheduled for next year, right? So that's like, that is something that we'll be working on. And and when we are able to uh, release details on those, then we absolutely will. We have a web series that we've been, that we've shot. We started shooting it in 2019 and then it kind of, the breaks were put on by the pandemic, but it's called Small Town Long Shots. And it actually, it's funny because when you were asking that question of James, your last question, I was like, in that series, basically we're asking established filmmakers and actors two questions, one being, what advice would you have for emerging filmmakers and actors in a distance location like Prince George trying to break into the industry? Mm -hmm. And then the second uh, question is, what advice would you have for a distance location like Prince George trying to attract productions to the city? And what we've done is we've actually themed these episodes with a bunch of like some of our favorites, right? Like, so Edward James almost is one of the interview uh, subjects, Rachel Talalay, who is like one of my very favorites, one of our favorites, I think. And, mm -hmm. and she's like, she directed tank girl back in the day. She mm -hmm. did Freddy's dead, the final nightmare. She has worked uh, on episodics, like any major episodic that you've seen. Doctor Who! <laughs> yes. Yeah, right? Doctor Who. Supernatural, Flash, Supergirl. She puts her two cents in. Michael Uslan, who owns the film and TV rights to Batman. Oh. He actually digs in, right? So these are the episodes that we'll be releasing. But actually, a trailer will be dropping tomorrow for that, which will kind of just outline like what it is that we're doing. And mm -hmm. so we, James and I both are like, we constantly are putting lines in the water, right? So that's <laughs> like, there's, you, there's no way you can't. Like you have to just keep putting lines in the water because, I mean, you know, things are going to fizzle out on one end, but maybe they'll ramp up on another. And hopefully we're in this, like, glorious situation where everything hits at once. And then we're like, well, we're going to do this. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, like, what else have we got on the go, James? Well, there's also through Barkerville, uh, the historic town that I work for uh, full time. Our CEO has been very conscious of the, the filmmaking stuff that we've been doing over the last couple of years and has really sort of encouraged us to help develop a television series uh, that features Barkerville. So it won't officially be a Barker Street production. It will be Barkerville actually working with another film production company, one of the, the, the owner of which was at FanCon. Cool. I won't name names or anything <laughs> at this point. We're still just putting all the agreements together, but um, the idea is, and it, and Danette, my wife, is is the head writer on it, and it'll be, we're going to start out with a web series that will also act as sort of a cut-down pilot to pitch to networks, but it's sort of a, I, I don't know, do you guys, have you ever watched Shit's Creek? Have you yeah. ever seen mm -hmm. that show? Mm -hmm. It's a big Canadian show there for a little while. It's that kind of idea, uh, you know, it's a half-hour single-camera sitcom, you know, no laugh track or anything like that, but about, about the running of 
Barkerville. So Barkerville is this mm, massive nice. <laughs> uh, national historic site. It's got 140 restored wooden buildings and it employs dozens of actors uh, to do lots of educational programs and things. And then, of course, there's the whole administrative wing and the kind of the, the foibles and things that those people go through on a daily basis. The stories that we're able to cull from our living and working environment are, are pretty insane. So um, what we're doing is putting together uh, this comedy show that will also tell some very real and very dramatic things, both both historical and things that are going on right now. And we did manage to get some grant money to develop the idea over the next six months. And then um, a, one of our a local big businesses here in the area is putting some money toward the filming of the actual web series. So we're hoping to shoot that in May and June. And hopefully I'll have more information that I can sort of re- in real time talk about in the lead up to that. Perhaps mm-hmm. we can uh, we can chat about that again. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Maybe maybe when you guys come out to, to FanCon the next time, you'll actually be able to stay a little bit longer and go see Barkerville. Yes. Like, it's a showstopper, dude. And and I mean, like that idea, like James's vision for this, like people are so colorful out there. There's a gorgeous palette, but then like all these different brushes of the folks that are out there mm-hmm. are like, there's really, really interesting, compelling people that actually just live and work in Barkerville, mm-hmm. right? Amazing. Like look at James. <laughs> 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 yes, we, we said next time we come out, we want to add like tack on like a day or two so that yeah. we can make that trip and check it out. Oh, yeah. Remind every all of our listeners, remind us where they can follow you guys on, on your socials and and uh, and your projects. All right. So um, all of our socials are Barker Street Cinema. So uh, we have a Twitter feed. We have uh, Instagram. We have Facebook. Also uh, www.barkerstreetcinema.com or barkerstreetcinema.ca, whichever you like, will take you to our website, which is badly in need of a bit of an upgrade just because we've done so much yeah. in the last by the, little time, by, the, by the time this airs, we'll grow <laughs> But YouTube as well, our YouTube yeah, channel. And our YouTube channel. And actually uh, going to our YouTube channel and, and watching the stuff that's on there would be a, a huge help to us um, because of course we can track that very easily. We can see who who's there and, wh- and where they're from. And the more traction we get on the YouTube channel, which has its own dedicated youtube.com slash Barker Street Cinema, the more we'll be able to produce for that particular platform so it would be great if people could could check us out outstanding well guys thank you so much for making the time to come and chat with us again it's so great to catch up with you guys oh Sounds thank good. you we always have time for you guys <laughs> we will no, hold this is great. this is really great and i do love the evolution of this you know yeah. i know we've talked about this already but the fact that when we talked to you the first time none of us knew each other <laughs> there was an instant spark and now we're back again having met you you know hung out with you like we've done some fun stuff in Prince George and uh, <laughs> and now you know it, this this whole feeling just it, it it is just so much it's such a rich experience and I and I look forward to continuing to do this as the years fly by us too that's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio as always thank you for listening join us for our next episode for CM Alexander James Douglas and Norm Coyne I'm Joshua Khan reminding you create a community of lifting each other up <laughs> Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with James and Norm about their Dollar Baby the Doctor's case. We hope you enjoyed it. Please check out our show notes to give these guys a follow and keep up with what they're doing. It's probably pretty obvious from our conversation with them, but they are so amazing and fantastic. You will definitely want to keep an eye on what they're doing. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs>